0: Hey everybody, I'm Frankie
1: and I'm Daniel
0: and this is Propagated Podcast. (music) This is a podcast where we talk about plants and sometimes really horrifying histories.
1: (laughs) A lot of really horrifying histories if we want to be truly honest about it. Yeah, but I'm really excited about today's episode honestly I am
0: so excited super
1: on par with uh, the season that we're in and Absolutely. I am just really excited on it I, I think this is gonna be a great one.
0: yeah, you know how much I love foraging. I was just thinking I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even really have to farm for like pictures for the Instagram. I can just go out in my front yard and take pictures <laughs>
1: For real almost all the things that we're gonna talk about will be in our front yards maybe not everyone listening but in ours specifically.
0: Yeah, today's episode is Spring Foraging, but you already know that because you probably read the title (laughs) (laughs) every time, every time.
1: (laughs) It's hard to remember, honestly.
0: (sighs) Hi, it's so nice to see your face. I feel like I haven't seen you in weeks because I was sick last week when we were supposed to record.
1: I know it has been a minute. We're going to have to go and do something soon. I'll be fully vaccinated officially as of Monday.
0: Which is really Ooh, fun. Ooh, nice! I get my first one on Monday.
1: Ooh, are you Moderna, Pfizer?
0: Honestly, I don't know. I didn't look. It was just like we have an open vaccine appointment, and I was like, "Boop, boop, boop, sign me up! Sign <laughs> me up! I'll take that." We, I think the first thing we should do is go to the plant stores personally.
1: Well, that's fair. I really want to go to Charlotte. To a place called plant bar and apparently bar. it's supposed to be really cool apparently they have like big walls of like different sizes of terrariums you can pick from Ooh. like the actual glass terrariums and you pick one and it's like you get to fill your terrarium up and it, <gasps> and it costs by the size so you get and and there's a full bar so you can like have a glass of wine or a beer oh or a gosh. cocktail While you're building your terrarium at this place called a plant bar. And I think that's really fucking fun. We should do it.
0: That sounds amazing. I used to work at a flower shop, which I think, believe I've talked about before, but I worked for a long time in the floral industry. And when it wasn't wedding season, I got to just build terrariums, which was like the most fun ever. You're just like sitting there with your tiny little shovel and your tiny little rocks. And you're just like putting your tiny little plants in their tiny little homes.
1: (laughs) I love that so much. I want that so bad.
0: We have to do that. That sounds awesome. So I think let's just get into it. I decided for this episode, instead of doing an article, since this is about foraging, and I feel like you know foraging is one of those things where you kind of got to cover the basics and know a little bit about it before we go into it, especially if you want to do it safely. The BSBI, which stands for Botanical Society of Britain and Ireland, they have this code of conduct that I read that was really sweet. So I want to cover some of those points and then we'll get into some other stuff. So number one, only ever take something that is one out of 20. So if you're going to take something, make sure there are at least 19 things you are leaving for the wild. Number two, when in doubt, keep it out of your mouth. Don't eat something you don't know exactly (laughs) what it is.
1: I think that applies to a lot of different situations, Frankie.
0: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, Number three, uprooting plants is illegal unless you have landowner permission. And some plants are protected by law, so be mindful of those things. And also be mindful of the consequences to your actions. Birds need winter berries to survive. Do you need winter berries to survive? No. No, you don't. So leave the berries for the birds. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. It was really sassy. It was like, no.
1: No. Absolutely. You do not.
0: (sighs) So I also wanted to go into another thing because I found this out this week and it was really wild to me. And I think it's something that is really important to know, especially if you're foraging. That I talked about, you know, landowner permission and trespassing and all of that. And I found out that a lot of these laws were literally created to keep black folks from feeding themselves post-Civil War. So I read this article called Race and Property After the Civil War, Creating the Right to Exclude from the Mississippi Law Journal um, by Brian Sars in 2018. And it was fascinating. And so I wanted to cover some of these points too, just because I think it's something super important to know. And it's just like the racist history of foraging and trespassing laws.
1: I want to pretend like it's surprising. (laughs) Yeah. God, not much surprises me anymore with our laws.
0: Yeah. Just before we recorded, I tweeted out, I was like, well, one thing I learned starting this podcast is if you ever cover anything in US history, even trees, it Always has a racist past. Every
1: bit of it. All of it.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so this whole article was about how race and white supremacy play into the development of the modern trespassing law. Yeah. A lot of this article talks about how pre-Civil War, most of the U.S. coming from England just like rejected their sort of closed-ranged, fenced-in sort of thing and when they came to the new world they were like this is so open i love how this you know how the native americans here like just have everything so open so they were like you know what let's not have fences everything will just be open terrain and you know if you want to keep your livestock in your land you're responsible for fencing it and it was that way for a long time in every single state
1: okay damn
0: so here's a quote for instance The property rights regimes that existed in 1860 allowed the landless to hunt, fish, forage, and even graze their livestock on private land. Those alternatives to sharecropping would have allowed many black folks to live somewhat independently, even without their own land. This economic autonomy was a threat to plantation owners, who had no alternative to black labor, since plantation owners were unwilling to offer wages or working conditions that would attract labor.
1: Surprise, surprise. Surprise,
0: surprise. And so it's really interesting, because pre-emancipation, the enslaved peoples on the plantation lands were actually responsible for feeding themselves mostly, like the plantation owners were not feeding them properly. So a lot of That history is built on black folks learning how to forage Forage. and keep, you know, grow their own gardens, actually, like a lot of them had their own gardens. And even a lot of times there was a surplus that they could sell at the market and stuff. So then post emancipation, all of these plantation owners are like, I can't get anyone to work for me, but I don't want to pay them or treat them well. So what do I do? I'll take away their foods. And then they can't strike because when people strike, they have to eat. Exactly. If they can eat, they can strike. If they can't eat, well, then they'll come work for me.
1: (laughs) God, such a fucked up history.
0: Yeah. So they created trespassing laws to restrict black access to wild food. But yeah, moral of the story is learn about foraging and forage for food because a lot of this stuff never became... Um, commercial crops because it doesn't refrigerate well or it doesn't keep well and so it doesn't make it any less edible or delicious it's just impossible to produce in capitalism you just
1: got to forage in the windows that it's available yeah
0: exactly so yeah I'm a big big fan of foraging every single thing we're going to talk about today I have personally foraged and eaten (laughs) except maybe morels I don't think I've ever done that mushrooms kind of scare me
1: (laughs) that's fair I can understand that for sure. Um, yeah, but fucking foraging is definitely dope. I used to do a decent bit of it when I was younger.
0: I feel like when you and I first met, we were like, you were like, oh, yeah, my grandparents have a whole bunch of land. We should go up there and forage. And like, we barely knew each other. And that was like the best thing ever that I met <laughs> someone with like foraging land we could go on. And we still have. Yeah, many we years still have later, yet to do that. It.
1: Sad day. <laughs>
0: Maybe this is our sign that we probably should. We can call it content.
1: I mean, it's time. Yeah, we can just video the whole thing.
0: Yeah, we'll do a live chat from up in the mountains. No, we won't. No, we won't. The service I would, is too bad. We'll I take would videos. Love,
1: I would love to try that, but there's absolutely no way either of us will have service on my parents' land.
0: Oh, I kind of like that, though. I love being up in the mountains without service.
1: Yeah, it's really pretty out there.
0: Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go um, first? I
1: will. Let's do it. Let's send it. Well, I picked several different things to talk about today, um, but the first one is probably the one that I have the closest relationship with personally.
0: Oh, I did the same thing.
1: Um, and that's going to be ramps.
0: Oh, so yay.
1: If you live in the U.S. in any of the eastern mountain ranges, you've probably eaten or at least heard of ramps, and it is definitely a staple in the part of the Appalachians that I grew up in. Um, I can remember ramps being kind of a a delicacy, if you will, but not quite, because as Frankie said, they don't really keep very well. So if you're Mm going to eat them fresh, you kind of have to harvest and eat them pretty quickly.
0: Fun fact, my coworker and I, whenever we need to reapply our deodorant, our code word is ramps.
1: (laughs) That is a very fair code word, because um, what I was going to move into next was... If you ever had ramps, you'll know that the smell is pretty fucking pungent. It's a <laughs> it is a it is a very identifiable scent. Um, and I remember just as like a side story, there used to be a kid who rode the bus, the same bus that I did when I was in, I think, this, I think it was high school. And they would bring pickled ramps onto the bus and open them. Just to elicit a response from the bus because oh, they thought no. it was funny because the smell is—I don't know if you ever had pickled ramps, uh, uh-uh. but it is take the pungency of normal ramps and like tenfold down, like add add tenfold to the smell. It's crazy. Oh boy! But the whole bus would be like annoyed, and the kid that that kid loved being an insider, like. You know?
0: Yeah, there's always one. In every elementary school class, there's always one. <laughs> I was the kid that was like, I'm just going to be daydreaming in the corner. No one noticed me. I'll be reading.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was a bad daydreamer, daydreamer for sure. I would like, yeah, I used to get called out all the time because I would just be sitting and staring at like the blinds or something, pretty much <laughs> totally dissociated from whatever was happening and it takes like HD right it takes like five times the teacher saying my name and I turn around another kind of fun side story in middle school my superlative was deer in the headlights because I wouldn't hear my name being called and then I would all of a sudden snap too and just like stare like huh and just like be a deer in the headlights all the time so
0: oh I was I was definitely called space cadet (laughs)
1: Um but anyways.
0: (laughs) Back to ramps.
1: Here's the part of the segment where I inevitably butcher the scientific name because it's just always gonna happen.
0: It's our favorite Um, part of this podcast. Hopefully hopefully it's yours too. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you're not screaming at us every episode.
1: I I imagine some people are, and if that's what you gotta do. Yeah, if you if you wanna if you wanna teach us how to be better about it, I'm down for that. Um but being part of the onion family, it leads with allium, which I'm pretty sure I know how to say. I'm pretty confident yeah, in its allium. <laughs> but it, ramp specifically is allium tricocum, I think. Hmm. Um, Sounds right. That's what I'm going to go with, and I hope that's yeah. right, if it's not, oh well. <laughs> uh But they're also known as wild leeks, uh, which is also oh. part of the onion family. It makes sense if you've ever seen one and compared it to a leek, but- um, so since this is a springtime foraging episode and we're gonna release this in the early spring, might as well tell you a little bit about how to find and identify these plants if you decide that you want to go out and do that.
0: Uh-huh. And ramps are what did honestly... I say earlier though? If you're if you're not sure, keep no wait, what was it? It rhymed.
1: Oh, it did um, rhyme.
0: Uh when in doubt, keep it out of your mouth.
1: <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so good. So so clever, I love it.
0: Also, um, side note, we are not liable if you eat a plant and it makes you sick. This, Don't eat plants you don't know. Yeah, and only, also wash your plants before you eat them.
1: The only real warning I gave was on the mushroom one, but this is okay, very true okay. for all of this them. This is a
0: blanket warning, please don't sue <laughs> us.
1: <laughs> um, but realistically, ramps are relatively easy to find and identify if you know where to look. So ramps most commonly are going to be found in low-lying Um, and shaded areas. Hmm. So that's because the plant needs a very rich and kind of moist soil profile. So they need a kind of wet soil with really rich soil, which you usually find in like bottoms and lower lying areas around your, wherever you are. Mm -hmm. Um, and so finding that's that type of landscape is really important. Um, once you found the landscape, uh, You have to think about when you should be looking. So if you're in the Appalachian area or near any of the northeastern mountains in the early spring, then you probably have a pretty good opportunity to find some wild ramps. But the season is relatively short, honestly, for ramps. So you're looking at uh, a range from mid-April to mid-May. So you've really only got a month of good season to look for ramps
0: okay we gotta go let's go right now yeah let's do it <laughs> Quick, it's time <laughs>
1: and honestly you probably if you've gone out and on walks and stuff people attribute the like you know like the wild onions that grow in your yard
0: yeah i'm gonna talk about that actually oh today.
1: that's fun mm-hmm. most people will like go on a hike or something and smell that and assume that they're smelling those wild onions mm-hmm. but that scent is actually if you're in that kind of area usually ramps because they don't need to be cut to have a scent
0: Interesting. Yeah. So that okay, that makes them easier fact. to find
1: too. Yeah. So the way to know that you've waited too long to continue looking for ramps without having to like just base it on the fact that you quit in mid May is if the trees have fully developed leaves, then essentially the ramps are going to wilt up and their leaves are going to die. Oh, so okay. once all the trees are bushed out, you pretty much don't have to worry about looking for ramps anymore because they're going to go into a hibernation until the following spring. And what you're looking for, as far as appearance goes, ramps have broad, light green leaves and purple stems. Ooh. Um, obviously, we're going to put a picture up of each of these plants on Insta yeah. when we release the episode, so I'm not going to de- delve too deep into what they look like because it's easier to look at it than it is to hear about it. I know that Frankie already gave some very specific responsible foraging techniques. My understanding for ramps specifically is that you should only harvest ramps from large patches, similar to what Frankie said. The Mm -hmm. source that I looked at said that it should be 10 or more plants if possible because they're pretty prolific Mm -hmm. growers, but it's, it never hurts to go to a higher number air on the safe side and look for 20. Um, you should avoid any plants that are seeding. So if they if they have seed socks shot out, you definitely shouldn't touch them. Um, never harvest more than one-fifth of the patch that you're harvesting from. So mm. if it's a patch of 10, then you shouldn't be taking more than two. If it's a patch of 20, no more than four. And people will dig up ramps for their bulbs, but the leaves are also really delicious. And if you can skip the bulbs... Mm then that allows the plant to survive and send up new leaves in the same year. And it also allows that bulb to go back into hibernation and survive the winter again. And if you really do want some of the bulb, you don't need to take any more than the top third of it. If you take any more than that, the plant will die. Hmm. And there's no reason to be killing them. And also you should definitely take leaves from plants with two or more leaves at least and that's another way to prevent the bulb from dying while it overwinters that gives it enough chance to like have metabolized enough energy to survive and then last of course i can't have a plant that i talk about without at least talking a little bit about some history i wanted to do folklore for each of them but honestly there wasn't a whole lot of folklore behind ramps which kind of surprised me um i suspect that part of that comes from how necessary and pertinent to survival the plants were for early settlers Mm -hmm. um and in a region where realistically poverty and struggles kind of have existed since we ran out the native americans um I think that not much folklore was based around them. They were just seen as a plant that helped you survive in the spring, like a little bit of abundance.
0: Yeah. Honestly, but- I feel like that's most of what we're talking about today is like all of these things are great because it's like, wow, everything's been dead for so long. Yeah. Look at this great abundance. Now we can eat again. <laughs>
1: yeah, let's have some emergence of life. So nice yeah. to see. Yeah. Um
0: replenish our our um Minerals and all kinds of our vitamins that we're missing.
1: Yeah, for real, a nice diet of depression and sadness through the winter. Let's get some, <laughs> let's get some minerals. And our real little food starchy tuberness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're just living off our our stored sugars.
1: <laughs> but realistically, even though I couldn't find a deep, rich folklore around ramps, I. Do you think that ramps are definitely treated with a kind of honorific title in the Appalachian region? So if you come to the Appalachians and look around, you're going to find plenty of recipes that will teach you exactly how to use the ramps that you foraged, and there are even several festivals who are that are named after and dedicated to this pretty cool little plant.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I've always wanted to go find them. I've gone out foraging once specifically looking for them, but I think we were probably too late. But we did get nettles and chickweed, which was exciting. Yep, so. nettles are
1: <laughs> nettles are usually right after ramps. That's like yeah, verging on a summertime.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, that's about what I have for ramps. Sweet. We should definitely try and go out and find some, though. I would definitely eat some ramps, love some ramps.
0: How do you eat it? Do you like cook it, or do you eat it raw? You can cook it. You can
1: add it to salads. You can do a lot with it. There are literally about a thousand and one ways you can look at what to do with ramp. Pickled ramps, even though they smell like fucking (laughs) hell, they taste really good. So Nice. But yeah.
0: Cool. Well... We're ready to move on. Then I want to tell you about the dandelion.
1: Ooh, uh, got some of those in my yard right now.
0: Yeah. So I have a personal connection with dandelions because they were really the first thing that you're taught is a weed. Like you're taught that dandelions are a nuisance and you should get rid of them and they're unnecessary and useless and awful and ooh, dandelions. And then once I learned that, like, they are incredible. Every single part of a dandelion is edible. Like it is always food. It's just there. It just exists to like be beautiful and yellow and be food. Like <laughs> I think that's so cool. Such and then it kind of me...
1: like cute little flowers too. And the only yeah. thing that pisses people off about dandelions is it messes up their perfectly manicured lawns. Go get fucked.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, that's a whole nother episode that we'll get into. Man, we haven't done that yet, but y'all better sure. get ready
1: for a rant when we get there. Because oh, we, we both have some beef with with the manager. Pretty much lawn every time scene. we hang out,
0: we're like, let's talk shit about lawns.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn French aristocracy.
0: <laughs> but, anyways, yeah, so dandelions, like they are a pain because they have this long taproot. If you are trying to get rid of them, it's a pain. But like, why would you get rid of them? They're great. <laughs> Oh, but dandelions really taught me that like a lot of things we label as weeds. And why do we label it that way? Like weed is just a judgment call. It's not like a taxonomical thing. You're not.
1: It boils down literally to aesthetics.
0: Yeah. When you like call
1: something a weed. There's invasive species, but that's Mm -hmm. very different than being a weed. Like a noxious weed is different than just a weed. And I think that that differentiation as you are driving at isn't made clear enough in a lot of situations
0: absolutely because like pretty much everything i'm going to talk about today is labeled as a weed and it's all like some of the best things you can eat in the spring to like get your system back up and kicking which is just cool like it's just like hey i'm just here to feed you
1: why doesn't nature just stop making so much sense of course that's like (laughs) the best thing you could eat to get your immune system and everything ready and pumping for the year ahead
0: I know it's like the humans like nature's just like hey humans what's up I'm just here to feed you this is good for you and we're like no get off my lawn
1: (laughs) how about instead I give you some herbicide how you like that dandelions
0: and then I'm gonna poison my own water with it because I don't know how to have a relationship with nature anyways (laughs) had to get at least one of those rants in there you gotta jab a
1: little we wouldn't be us if we didn't jab a little (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay so let's talk about dandelions dandelions have a deep taproot like i said and they're really difficult to destroy and then they also have these parachute seeds so they spread really easily and it's like you've seen those puff balls everyone's wished on a puff ball where you blow it and the seeds go and they just fly off and it's so beautiful and <laughs> that is an aesthetic like let mm-hmm. me just say that's an aesthetic <laughs> absolutely what? you're making faces
1: no, I was. I thought that your little hoof was really cute. That was the face that I was making. I was like, damn, that oh, was pretty cute. <laughs> oh,
0: stop. Um, fun fact I learned this about dandelion seeds. I never knew this. A lot of them reproduce, like, obviously under the umbrella of dandelion of Taraxacum officinale.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: A lot of them. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's a name produce- and a half. <laughs>
0: A lot of them reproduce asexually, and so the seeds themselves are create plants that are genetically identical to the parent plant. So a lot of d- uh, dandelions are just you know genetically identical, which is cool to me. That's know. wild. Like I said, every single part of the dandelion is useful, and they're all edible. You can make dandelion wine. You can eat the greens and salads this is really cool too you can roast the root and grind it and it makes a really good ca- uh, caffeine free coffee substitute
1: okay it like tastes like bitter like it tastes yeah. like coffee
0: yeah a little not really but it like has that like bitter quality and okay. it like also is a mild diuretic and it like you know works for your liver I've heard dandelion really good for your liver dandelion root so nice yeah you can also in the winter if you peel it, Apparently, it's really good if you boil it or um, saute it with butter, which I've never tried and kind of want to now.
1: Might as well. Why not?
0: mm -hmm. If the leaves are kind of bitter, which happens when it gets warmer, you can saute it like spinach. But it's less bitter if you eat it in the spring or the fall or even in the winter, if you have some.
1: Winter dandies. Mm -hmm.
0: You can also, I don't know actually if I've talked about this before, but I really love making natural dyes. The yellow flowers of the dandelion make this like really beautiful subtle yellow color.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Identification when you're foraging is interesting because like, we'll talk a lot about lookalikes, but identification for plants, once you know a few basic things, it makes it really easy to differentiate a certain plant from a lookalike. And so dandelions to differentiate them from their lookalikes is that the um, leaves, have a basal rosette so b-a-s-a-l-r-o-s-e-t-t-e basal rosette basically means that it like forms like a rose where it's all coming from one place and some plants grow like stems off of that but like a basal rosette is like at the base looks like a rose (laughs) okay and that dandelions have that basal rosette that was one fun fact i learned in my urban foraging class
1: (laughs) wow it's good it's a good fun fact to know
0: here's another fun fact the name dandelion comes from French, dent de lion, which means tooth of the lion. Ooh. Yeah. Is that because lion's it's
1: yellow? Teeth?
0: I guess so. I don't know. I guess dandelions don't really look like lion's teeth to me, but I don't know. Maybe. I could see it.
1: Maybe it's, <laughs> but it does kind of look like a lion's mane.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely some sort of lioniness to it. <laughs> It was really well-known by the ancient Greeks and Romans and Egyptians. I mean, dandelions have been around for a long time. They used it to remove toxins and, like I said earlier, gentle diuretics, all that kind of stuff. It has a lot of health benefits, a lot of minerals, a lot of nutrients. And it's also a super vital early spring nectar for pollinators. Well, there you go. Yeah.
1: Without the fucking pollinators, guys, we're all going to die. So. (laughs)
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. I don't know why I never thought about this before, but when I was reading this, I was like, oh, duh. Root beer. Root beer. Mm -hmm. Made from roots. Dandelion roots were some of the early ingredients in root beer.
1: Oh, that's so fun. I just always have, I've just always related sassafras to root beer. So, like, I just Mm -hmm. assumed that was the, that was it.
0: Apparently, it was just a bunch of roots. (laughs) That's
1: fun, though. I love that.
0: Yeah. And then this is, like, This is my final and coolest fact. Well, they're all cool, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Dandelions, when you cut them, excrete a natural latex. And like latex and rubber, like that natural sort of thing, like you get from rubber plants, it's kind of this milky, sticky substance. Mm -hmm. So scientists in the Fraunhofer Institute for Molecular Biology and Applied Ecology in Germany discovered a cultivar suitable suitable to make com- a commercial product out of. So they have developed this dandelion that makes natural latex, which is really, really cool.
1: Dandelion latex. That's so fun.
0: Uh-huh. And I also found, apparently, in 2015, they made tires out of dandelions, <laughs> of dandelion natural rubber and stuff. How? And it's just Manny so cool.
1: fucking dandelions, though. <laughs> Not that, like, it's, I feel like that's a non-issue, because I'm sure you can grow them captively. But... Damn, I just I'm like trying to fathom how many dandelions it would take to create a dandelion tire.
0: A lot, but still, it's cool. It's like making all this stuff out of plants. No, it's fucking
1: dope. I'm not. I love that. It's awesome.
0: Anywho, that's dandelions. That's what I got.
1: (laughs) All right. You definitely had a great time talking about dandelions. I'm going to talk about another plant that a lot of people can find in their front yards. Ooh, Um, what is it? I'm going to talk about violets.
0: Yes, my favorite.
1: Um, violets have always been one of my favorite wildflowers and that's primarily because they're one of the first and earliest pops of color you get in the springtime. They're just so all beautiful. over the place and they're so pretty.
0: I have some in my yard right now and I was going to go out today, but it's 30 degrees today, so, so I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> I'm going to wait for a few days and then I'm going to go and eat some violets out of the yard. Nice.
1: And Violet's are honestly like wow. No, I'm not going to say that. When I wrote that, I don't know who I don't know who wrote that, but it wasn't me. I don't me. know who
0: I was when I wrote that. That was not me.
1: <laughs> It literally says, a quaint but lovely reminder that the pervading cold and gray of winter is coming to an end. Like, what the fuck was I
0: doing? That was definitely plagiarized. If I was your high school teacher, I would be like, "Uh uh-uh, Daniel, this is not you. I'm
1: sure I wrote it because it's obvious when I do plagiarize, but I don't know. I don't write like that ever.
0: That's really sweet. I love it.
1: So, realistically, while I did do foraging pretty frequently with my grandparents when I was younger... Violets weren't something we ever focused on for some reason. Mm -hmm. They were always pretty, but we didn't really put much stock into it, I suppose. So it's something that kind of came into my radar more recently. All right, back to the butchering scientific names. Actually, this one's kind of easy, so I think I probably have it. (laughs) Uh, Viola Ordata is a scientific name for your violets that you should go out and forage. Mm. Um, And just like last time, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how and where to find the violets. So violets usually set up camp in thickets, stream banks, and woods. Mm. Um, You'll see them in your yard, but if you want to, like, see a big bloom of them.
0: I have a huge patch under my magnolia tree.
1: Yeah, they like to be a little shaded. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: they tend to stay near the ground. They don't really, the flowers don't grow up off the ground on huge stems or anything. And they usually spread pretty prolifically if given the range to do so. If you, like, leave them for a few years, they're usually all over the place. So they essentially have, like, anything from cute little purple flowers all the way to cute little yellow flowers, apparently, which I haven't seen personally a yellow violet, but it is a thing. And so those little flowers are, like, a cool way to help you identify, obviously, the plant. And the leaves are kind of heart-shaped, but it's obviously easiest to identify by its flower. I guess kind of unlike ramps, violets have a bit of a longer season, a bit of a longer opportunity to forage. Mm -hmm. Um, Still exclusive to pretty much springtime. Um, Summer sun makes it harder for them to survive. They're not usually a fan. They're a little bit dramatic, In the way that they grow and if they get a bunch of summer heat, they're just gonna wilt away and die. They don't they don't like it. See I I I, I thrive (laughs) thrive in the summer heat. And also if you're like not quite the foraging type, violets are an easy flower that you can get seeds from or buy seeds of and grow for yourself. It's not a very difficult grow at all. Um but the leaves and flowers of the violet are both edible, which is pretty cool. So, the leaves can be used to supplement a salad, or I thought this was kind of cool as a fun fact you can add it to a soup or stew and it will actually act as a thickening agent.
0: Oh, I'll have to do that this week. So,
1: that's kind of cool. And while the flowers are super edible and have a nice, like, sweetness to them, it's not just good for a salad. If you're like a cocktail person, Making a floral simple syrup from violet flowers is a really pretty color and tastes really good.
0: I've done that. I did that last year. It was so beautiful. It was like this like deep, rich purple color. I think I actually posted a picture of it because I couldn't find a good picture for our poisons episode. So I was like, this looks like a poison. (laughs) This looks poisonous enough. I'll post Uh. it again, though. I loved it. I'm going to do it again this year for sure. It was delicious.
1: Fun fact. Frankie lies about what is and is not poisonous. Apparently, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, ooh, look at this this poison. Just kidding. It's violet syrup, which is delicious, and you should totally make. Yeah,
1: I want. I kind of want to make that this year. I think it's uh, that's something that I'm into. Yeah. So as with any time you go out foraging, not all violets are made the same, and it's important that you educate yourself and how to identify the type of violet that you want and make sure that the type of violet that you want is something that you should be foraging at all to begin with. Some violets you'll find in forests are not Viola or data, And a lot of them could be rarer and are legally protected and shouldn't be disturbed at all. So mm. it is important. I didn't go down the list because um, there are actually a lot. The Viola genus itself contains about 550 different species. Woof. So... um. Just make sure that you know what you're doing. It's important to educate yourself. I will educate you a little bit and make sure that you know what you're doing in general. But it's kind of on you to make sure that you know in your area what you should be looking for specifically. Um, And there are some people who say the yellow species of violet just shouldn't be touched, period. But there are also others that say that as long as you're following proper foraging practices, that there's no reason you can't collect them. So just do your own research, see what exists in your area before you go out to pick, and learn how to tell the difference. It only takes yeah. a little bit of time, a little bit of effort.
0: I love um, violets because they're so easily identifiable, too. Yeah, super easy. Especially when they're just in your yard. It's like nothing else is really going to look like it. Maybe vinca, but, but that's it grows on a vine. Yeah, so. you.
1: <laughs> I, I would hope that if you do your research, you could tell the difference. Yeah, Holistically, violets are considered to be helpful- Um, And acting as a blood cleanser, a respiratory remedy, and a lymphatic stimulant. Hmm. So those are all really important things. And that's what uh, if you went to like Eastern medicine kind of theology, or not theology, but ideology about plants, that's what you would see them using violets for. Um, And a thing that I had no idea about until I was doing research is violets have underground flowers hmm. that you don't see, and they can still seed even though they're underground.
0: No way. Yeah,
1: fucking wild.
0: How cool is that? So fucking we crazy. We have an underground flower in the show. <laughs> I, apparently,
1: I, that's like one of my things, it's like my go-to. Uh, but well, I thought that, that was so cool. fucking wild, especially the fact that they can still seed. That's what got me, you know?
0: Yeah. I wonder how they're pollinated, like, or if they just don't. I guess maybe, maybe they, they, they just don't. don't. Maybe
1: they can asexually yeah. produce.
0: How interesting.
1: Yeah, but that was wild. All right. This was one of the ones where I actually get to do a little mythology, little
0: Yay. Little
1: folklore on, and I think it's kind of cute. Um, also kind of weird. Well let's just get into it. You'll I find mean, I out. feel
0: like that's just folklore. Kind of cute. Kind of weird. <laughs>
1: um so in Roman mythology, violets came about because Venus gotten to a fight with her son, Cupid. And this is why I say it's kind of weird. And to me, it seems like an attempt to force an Oedipus complex on poor Cupid. She demanded to know who Cupid found more attractive, herself or a group of girls.
0: A what? Yeah. <sighs> Mom, that's weird. Yeah,
1: Oedipus <laughs> complex written all over that. It's like, if that's, that's a lot. Um,
0: I guess maybe gods have like, I don't know, whatever. Anyway. <laughs>
1: But when Cupid chose the girls, Venus beat this group of girls until they were blue. What? And then turned them into violets. Why? Yep.
0: Mom, stop yeah. killing my friends. <laughs> For real. Stop turning my friends into flowers.
1: <laughs> um, so that's the Roman side of it. I thought it was kind of a fun story, but also kind of high key creepy.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: In Greek mythology, Zeus falls in love with a nymph. I I think it's Io. I'm pretty Uh, sure that. How do you spell it? Io. Oh. I think it's Uh Io. Um, Uh,
0: Yeah, sounds right. I don't know.
1: (laughs) So Zeus falls in love with the nymph Io. And knowing how furious Hera gets in general when it comes to Zeus's infidelity, he attempts to save Io by turning her into a white heifer. Io was less than thrilled by Zeus's actions and was especially saddened by having to eat coarse grass for the rest of time. So Zeus turned oh, her fallen tears into violets for her to eat instead.
0: Hmm. Okay. Huh. All right. All not right. problematic
1: at all. Uh, you know, Zeus was definitely not never known as a problematic uh, godhead, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Yeah. If you're eating on some violets, remember that that's all Io gets to eat, but only if she cries enough. I'm just kidding. Oh, that was terrible.
0: You're just eating her tears.
1: <laughs> uh, but that is what I have for violets. That's the Those are the two beefiest stories I could Yay. find on violet folklore.
0: I love violets. Oh, Both? my goodness.
1: Violet folklore. Problematic. Problematic. Mm-hmm. If you're a mom... Don't ask yeah. your son to, to to call you hot, hotter than other yeah, girls, especially. That's really weird. That's really weird. Just and, fun
0: fact, real weird.
1: And if you're a man
0: Maybe in a monogamous relationship,
1: don't cheat on your girlfriend and don't take your mistress and turn her into a cow and make her cry for the rest of the time. It's really shitty. And
0: don't be like, I turned your grass into flowers. You're welcome. Yeah, you're
1: welcome, bitch. <laughs> nah, terrible. <gasps> Fucking Zeus sucks. We all know that, though, I hope.
0: Oh, dear.
1: Yeah, that's Violet's for you.
0: Woo. All right, I think it's time for me to talk about wild onions and wild garlic, an onion grass. Well, kind of. I, like it was kind of hard because I was like, okay, what are the differences? Let me Google and like figure this out. And it's really hard to know the difference. Like they're very similar, and they're both edible, and they're used in the same recipes, and they taste very similar and smell very similar. So it's gonna get a little bit muddy here. But so if you
1: find one or the other, really, you're fine. Sounds really, like it's not like it's no. not, it's not like it's a lookalike <laughs> that's gonna hurt you.
0: No, no, there are some inedible, there are some inedible lookalikes, but I'm gonna tell you right now if you cut it or like scrape it with your thumb and you don't smell anything, don't eat it. All wild onion, all wild garlic, all of that, you can smell it immediately and it has a very pungent smell.
1: Well, that's a good thing to know.
0: Yeah, it kind of smells like chives. Like this is the one that I probably eat the most of because we have a ton of onion grass in our yard and you can eat the whole thing. You can chop it up, put it up in stir fries. You can dig up the bulb. The bulb is really delicious too. Like it's just one of those things that's a wild invasive species and you should just eat it because it's great. (laughs) Yeah. So you can kind of tell the difference from the leaves too. In wild onion, the leaves are kind of like a blade of grass with a slightly curved U shape. And wild garlic has kind of a hollow tube, sort of looks like a really baby chive, I would say.
1: I used to love mowing over clumps of it because it just has such <laughs> a like noticeable, awesome, like, scent.
0: Yeah. Um, you can tell the wild onion from the flower. It is white with six petals. And if the flower is purple, it's probably wild garlic instead. And in the bulbs of it... Wild onion looks kind of like a tiny little shallot, whereas wild garlic is broken off into little bits, kind of like how garlic is, like a garlic um, clove.
1: Damn. Yeah, I didn't know that bit cool. about the flowers. I knew the underground part, but I didn't know the flower bit.
0: Yeah. And you can eat pretty much all parts raw or cooked. Oh yeah. That's all I had. I'm <laughs> into that. That was a short one, but...
1: Oh, that they're delicious. Highly
0: recommend. I eat it in stir fries. I eat it in spring rolls. I eat it in soups. All kinds of stuff.
1: It's similar to to me. It's always been like similar to chives. So it's like exactly. You can add it to anything. Uh, It's a nice little bit of zest to anything you're eating. You know. Absolutely. Add it to your ice cream. I don't know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Ew. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So next on the itinerary, then would be clover, another front yard common plant.
0: Oh, my gosh. When I was a child, my dad taught me that clover was edible, and then he just found me in the yard just, like, munching down for hours at a time just eating clovers.
1: I used to eat clover, too. (sighs) Build that. Um,
0: It doesn't even taste that good. It was just exciting to me to, like, eat the lawn, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's got, like, a tang. It's not like it just doesn't have a whole lot of flavor at all. No, but it's got a nice really. little like zing at the end of it, like a little sour tang to it.
0: Yeah, a nice little field treat.
1: Um, so for the, for the purpose of just talking about all of this, red and white clover are both very common. Um, they're both in your yard, sometimes next to each other. So I'm going to tell you. Both of their scientific names. So red clover is Trifolium protens and white clover is Trifolium repens. And both are often regarded as weeds. I'm not going to really differentiate much for the rest of the episode between red and white clovers because essentially, aside from color, there is not a large difference. So this is another one that I have quite a bit of childhood memories with because who doesn't go out when you're a kid and look for a four leaf clover
0: you know that's a
1: very standard like a normal thing that you're gonna do but yeah in my whole childhood I can't tell you how many times I came like running up to the closest person with a four leaf clover in hand being like oh my god I have good luck now yay and even as an adult I still if I see a patch of clover I definitely do a double take and glance around and see if I see a four leafer you know
0: Yeah, obviously, but actually last year around this time when lockdown first started, we went up into the mountains and like searched for four leaf clovers and I found like eight of them. It was really exciting.
1: It's pretty common, really. Yeah. But that being said, if you're new to foraging, it's a pretty good place to start looking for clover because it's very identifiable. To my knowledge, it doesn't have a dangerous lookalike. It has some lookalikes, but nothing that I found was a dangerous lookalike. And the most common confusion on identification that I found would be a mix up with types of oxalis. Mm. Um, But again, if you do your research, it's fairly easy to tell the difference between clover and oxalis. They have a similar shape, but very different sizes. Anyways, like I said earlier, just do your research and you'll be fine. Um, So this plant... If we're talking about how to identify it has compound leaves with normally obviously not always but normally three oval leaflets and they have a tip they typically have a slight V mark pattern and then the flowers are gonna be either pink to red or white and have round heads with several small petals pointed upwards and with these plants being native to Europe Western Asia, Northwest Africa, and naturalized in North and South America, it's not hard to imagine that almost anyone listening to this show will have the opportunity to forage for clover if you want to. Yeah, In a holistic practice, clover will be used for arthritis, rheumatism, and as an anti-diarrheal. Hmm. Um, and a tea made from the dried leaves is said to help with coughs and colds. While the heads of the flowers are said to be a blood cleanser and is used to clean wounds, sores, boils, and also help heal eye ailments.
0: The obvious disclaimer. Put a clover in my eye. (laughs) The
1: obvious disclaimer here is I am not a medical professional, will never claim (laughs) to be a medical professional or even a holistic practitioner. So. I don't recommend that you do anything without somebody way more professional than me telling you to do so. Yeah. Except for maybe make a tea. That's fine. You want to make a tea, you're going to be okay. But don't be putting clover in your eyeballs. Let's not do that. I don't want to be oh. responsible for that.
0: We should also state, if it is somewhere where you think that pesticides or like car exhaust might get on it, don't yeah. eat it.
1: Yeah, you don't want that.
0: You don't want that. You don't want that in your body.
1: All the plants that you see outside are a product of their environment. So if you're picking clover off the next uh, off of a freeway exit it's probably not clover you want to ingest no i would say that a large portion of us know that four-leaf clovers are said to bring good luck god i don't know who i was when i was writing these notes cuz i have a joke here and it's fucking terrible
0: no tell me i want to know it's so
1: bad i was going to i like it's like scripted i was like i was going to be like hey frankie what do you get what? if you cross a four-leaf clover and poison ivy what A rash of good luck.
0: (laughs) Daniel, no. (laughs) I mean, I'm so proud of you, and that's amazing, but like, who are you right now? Oh,
1: Lord. I don't.
0: I love it so much. I know I'm leaving all of that in. I'm not cutting any of it
1: out. I'm sorry. I really am to anyone that heard that. Oh, don't be
0: sorry. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay. A rash of oh my god! Oh no! Oh.
1: Um. Anyways, oh,
0: that's it. Give us our awards. How do we get awards? Are there podcasting awards? We deserve
1: one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna move on past that terrible decision I just made to tell that joke. Um, in 1620, uh, Sir John Melton wrote. If a man walking in the fields finds any four-leafed grass, he shall in a small while after find some good thing, speaking towards the luck of 4 leaf clovers. Um, And the druids of ancient Britain and Gaul believed that clovers or shamrocks allowed them to see evil spirits and would afford them extra time to escape from them. Love that. In turn, it was also seen as a good luck charm for those people who weren't sorcerers or druids or magical Mm -hmm. the leaves have also been said to symbolize hope faith love and of course with the fourth leaf luck and christian superstition states that the leaves represent father son and holy spirit with a fourth leaf speaking towards god's grace and that's the end of what i have to talk about with clovers
0: love it I love a clover. It always makes me feel like a little fairy when I find a patch of clovers.
1: Yeah, it's so cute.
0: Okay. Well, let's move on to the next thing. Let's keep on keeping on. There's only three more. This is going to be a long episode. We feel like you deserve it. So we're going to give you a long spring foraging episode because all of these plants are out right now and we don't really want to cut anything. So
1: So deal with
0: it. So extra content, deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Deal with it. Oh, there's another joke for you. Deal with it. No. <laughs> no. You gave me a rash of bad luck, so don't even. <laughs> this is a rash of good luck?
1: Oh, sorry. Good luck. sorry. Get I'm it right, guy, Frankie. I <laughs> yeah, regret gonna... having ever said it. So it, you could at <laughs> least spread my shame accurately.
0: Oh. Okay. Whew. So for this next one, I am very excited to talk about this. I actually. Um, I'm going to talk about two different things and call them both nettles, but I couldn't cut either one because I love them so much and they're both out right now. So, okay. So, I'm going to talk about stinging nettle and I'm going to talk about purple dead nettle. Ooh. Uh, so, purple dead nettle, Lamium purpureum, is a part of the Lamiaceae family, which is the mint dead nettle and sage family.
1: Okay. Pretty cool. Sage family, really?
0: Yeah. Interesting, right?
1: Learn something new. So
0: it's one of the first wild greens in spring. Like, I guarantee you, you have seen this. It's very common. It is always out this time of year. It is beautiful. It's very purple. It has these fuzzy, throaty, long flowers. We'll post pictures again on Instagram. It's one of the first wild greens because it's hiding under the snow, and it's just ready to pop up, and it's just like, yeah, let's go.
1: (laughs) I love seeing nettle come out.
0: Me too. They make me so so happy. It is
1: literally one of the first greens you see.
0: Yeah. And it has the purple too. It's like the first color of spring.
1: And stinging nettle. I feel like stinging nettle comes out later, right? Or am I just crazy? It does come out later. Okay.
0: No, you're not crazy. Yeah, it does come out later. But um, when I said I'm going to do nettles, I was like, I can't pick one or the other. I have to do both. got to do it all. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So, purple dead nettle is edible, all of it, leaves, stem, flowers, but it does have this very earthy, mushroomy, dirt flavor, which is not everyone's cup of tea. I like it, but I also just like that flavor of earth.
1: I mean, I love that description, and I also just have massive deja vu. It was really wild.
0: Huh. They say that that means you're exactly where you're supposed to be.
1: Wow. Look at me go, then.
0: um <clears throat> so in the early spring like now you can just use it in soups you can use it in salads just raw like that but once it starts to flower it gets a little bit more funky and it has kind of a more funky mouth feel it's still edible but a lot of people say that they would rather cook it at that stage and only use the tops because it's not quite so fibrous and fuzzy they have heart leaves that are kind of wrinkly and Did you they say hard
1: are op- or heart? I'm sorry. hurt. hurt. Okay. Leaves heart
0: leaves that are kind of wrinkly. And they are opposite on the stem, opposite each other. And they are on a square stem, which, super fun fact, most things in the mint family have a square stem. Not all square stems are mint, but most things in the mint family have a square stem that you can literally feel with your fingers if you touch it.
1: Oh, wild. Yeah. Fun facts. So that's I love the kinda- fun fact.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like the best way to be like, uh, this looks like purple dead nettle, but is it? Just touch it. And if you feel that square stem, you'll know. And also a lot of times with purple dead nettle at the very top, it has like the leaves at the top start to turn purple, which is just so pretty. Yeah. I just love it, especially in like a meadow and a wild, like this is has a wild It's so flower. pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. There's also henbit dead nettle which is very similar, but it's kind of more scraggly, more pink flowers, also edible, also square stem. So not a big deal if you mix up the two.
1: Got to love a look-alike that won't kill you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's move on to stinging nettle, which is one of the first forageable plants that I had when I moved here to the Appalachian Mountains that I was like, oh my gosh, this foraging thing is for real. After I ate it, I felt so good.
1: <laughs> it's a sense of accomplishment. There's like psychosomatic and like yeah. true somatic totally. symptoms to foraging for sure.
0: Totally. And I think too with stinging nettle, it's like so high in iron and I'm always so low in iron that it was one of those things that after I ate it, I just felt like a superhuman. <laughs> Your
1: blood was just like, whoa, who is this new Frankie? I love this. We haven't
0: been this healthy in so long. I can long. <laughs> transport
1: oxygen so efficiently now. What?
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So stinging nettle is urtica diotic. Oh, gosh. Nope. Urtica dio. Nope. <laughs> it's D-I-O-I-C-A. Dioica Urtica dioica?
1: Send it. Go with it. We always fuck know. them up Urtica, anyways. Just send it. Urtica
0: dioica. All right. You know I'm going to say it eight times and maybe one of them will be right.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thomas Culpepper in the 1500s said, quote, nettles are so well known that they need no description. They may be found by feeling in the darkest night, which I thought was really romantic and sweet.
1: That is really <laughs> romantic and sweet.
0: Yeah, it's kind of fun too because nettles is one of those plants that like is just in history. Like Shakespeare talked about it. Our saying of like "I was nettled" comes from stinging nettles. Like it's just everywhere in history.
1: I'm trying to think of a situation which I've ever heard. I was nettled.
0: Really? Oh, I don't think
1: I'm familiar with that one.
0: Maybe it's more of a Midwestern thing. I don't know, but I feel like I've heard it all. I'm not.
1: Yeah, I just I don't think that I've heard that.
0: Like nettled, like frustrated.
1: Oh, I, I definitely under I understand. We'll talk. I'll talk to you about it when we get to stinging nettles. So I'll, I'll talk about my nettle experiences.
0: Oh, we're at stinging nettles right now. Tell me about your nettle experiences.
1: I can't handle how many times I have been miserable because of stinging nettle as a kid. Because yeah. You know, when you're a kid and you're running around in the woods, you're not really paying attention and you just run through a patch of greens. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there teared up waiting for the pain to end.
0: Which takes a while. Oh no. And
1: then even into adulthood, I remember so where my parents live is above my dad's parents. So like my grandparents on my dad's side. We essentially like dug out what used to be a field and put the house there. And we knew that there was a spring above us So we went up into the woods and dug out the spring to supply water for the house. But obviously with the spring being there in the middle of the woods, stinging nettles were rampant up and down there. And it was next to impossible to do anything without being irritated for like five hours.
0: Oh, no, that's awful. Did you get like blisters and stuff? I've never like had a reaction, so I don't know.
1: You don't have a reaction at all?
0: Well, I've never like tried. I've never like oh, okay. touched a nettle without gloves, so I don't know.
1: Um Yeah, I don't you don't really get blistered. I also probably have lesser I tend to have a lesser reaction to things than people who have higher reactions to stuff. I don't like that made uh, any sense the way I said that. No, no,
0: it totally does. But yeah,
1: um yeah. for me, it would be a slight like raising of the skin, like almost oh, like goosebumps gotcha. and you get a little yeah. red for a few hours and then they go away, Is but it, it burns. Itchy?
0: Oh, it's like
1: no. it stings. It's sti- have you ever been stung by a jellyfish? No, I don't know how to relate it to you then. It's like <laughs> it's literally a stinging. Like, have you, have you been stung by a bee?
0: Yeah, I've been stung by a bee.
1: OK, yeah. so take that down about Once. 10 notches. You know, like it's not, Mm. but like it's all over a huge area instead of in just one spot.
0: Gotcha. It's weird to explain,
1: but it's pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah,
0: that makes sense.
1: I would definitely go foraging for nettle now, but I have a, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of stinging nettle because I have a bad (laughs) past with it.
0: Well, okay. Maybe I can turn you around because it's one of my favorite forageables. So let me tell you its uses and some cool fun facts. You ready? Go for it. So you can make beer out of it. Okay, that's a perk. <laughs> first and foremost. That's the young nettles make alcoholic beer. Um, the nettle stems themselves, pretty cool. The bast fibers have the same purposes as linen, and it's a really similar process as to making linen.
1: Wow, that's and, crazy!
0: Yeah, unlike cotton, it grows easily without pesticides, and it's been used in clothing for three thousand years.
1: I mean, all that's cool and all, but I still don't love it.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll keep, I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. So textiles from the Bronze Age were found in Denmark that were made out of nettles. It's also widely believed that, uh, okay, the evidence is iffy. I'll say that up front. But it is like this wide belief and talked about a lot that in Germany, in World War I, there was a cotton shortage. And so a lot of the uniforms are actually made out of nettles.
1: I'm going to struggle to believe that one cuz I feel like that's something that be well, interesting. a little bit yeah. more talked about, but
0: yeah. It makes a great dye. The roots do have like this kind of yellowish soft color, and the leaves make this like yellow-green kind of really fun funky color.
1: Like a spring yellow?
0: Yeah, like a spring yellow exactly. Um how I have eaten it myself is If you boil it just really quickly for a couple minutes, it will remove the stingers, and it's really high in calcium, magnesium, and iron, so it's really good for your body. It's one of these greens that just will wake up your whole body, and you can also make pesto out of it, although I've never tried that, but apparently if you mash it like in a pesto, it will remove the stingers. So
1: Okay. Well, when you make some pesto, I'll taste it. Maybe I won't hate stinging nettle anymore.
0: Okay, I won't tell you what it is first. I'll be like, look, I made this pesto. and see what you think.
1: I know you, you can tell me what it is before. If, if it's a food and I like it, I'll be over it immediately.
0: But oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so identification purposes. Obviously, it's pretty easy to identify if you want to just stick your hand in there and get, and get rashy. But if you don't, it does have that square stem, which you can see. Maybe don't touch it, but you can see it. It has heart-shaped leaves, again, that are wrinkly. And it has a square stem, like I said, and it has flowers that grow in tassels under the leaf, which mm-hmm. is kinda cool.
1: So pretty. They are pretty plants.
0: Yeah. I will give them that. Anyways, that's that's nettles.
1: Nettles. nettles. I wanna nettles. let's go get some what was it, purple dead nettle?
0: Yeah. Yeah, let's go some get some of that. Yard. Yeah, just come on over. There's a whole patch up front.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um so this one's an interesting one, and I am going to speak to the dangers first and foremost. Um, while morels are fun to forge and a super awesome time to go out into the woods and look for, uh, you absolutely must do adequate research and educate yourself very clearly on what you're looking for when mushroom foraging.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, mushroom foraging is a different wel- world from other foraging. While there are plants that can kill you, mushrooms are usually quicker to do so if you make a bad identification and have incredibly convincing lookalikes.
0: Yeah. We've also talked about before how Mushrooms are closer to the animal kingdom than the plant kingdom, so just don't mess with them.
1: (laughs) Um, And while the lookalikes of morel specifically aren't necessarily as dangerous, if improperly used, some can still be fatal. So uh, this is definitely the only plant I've covered today that has a deadly lookalike, Mm. and now that I've... I, I at least wanted to preface this whole section by saying, if this is something you want to do, it's probably wise to find someone who knows what they're doing first, and let them teach you how to do it. If you're not into doing that, then maybe just don't. Just go buy, <laughs> just go buy some morels. You can find just go them.
0: Go to the farmer's market. Yeah, go to the maybe farmer's market.
1: <laughs> I it, mushrooms are just dangerous. I personally went with my grandpa when I was a child and have a pretty decent amount of experience looking for morels. So I feel pretty comfortable picking them out, but it is really, it is just a dangerous thing when you're fucking around with mushrooms to not know what you're doing. It's very important that you know what you're doing. Um. Anyways, my grandpa and I did used to go out. Essentially our land was pretty extensive in the mountains and there was this one fence line that you could go to and follow it up. And for years and years, and it was usually around this time of the year, maybe a little bit later that you can find morels. But uh, we would hike all the way up it was probably a solid couple miles up this fence line. And then you get to a patch of morels that grew pretty much every single year. And morels are delectable. One of my favorite mushrooms to eat, I
0: don't think um, I've ever especially had just one. like
1: fought, like foraged. It's like we were talking about earlier that the accomplishment you feel from foraging it to begin with, and then cooking and eating it after that. It's a great yeah. feeling. Mm. Um, unfortunately, that morel patch dried up to to the fault of no one. It's, that just happens. It's a thing with mushrooms. Is. Mm. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, and you never know what to know how that's gonna work exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Morels are in the mochella family.
0: Hmm.
1: And they do, of the mushrooms you could forage, have a pretty identifiable appearance with an almost honeycomb pattern on the cap. Realistically though, the word honeycomb is a bit deceitful.
0: Yeah. I always feel like they look like wrinkly fingers.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like if a drunk bee made a honeycomb. <laughs> then maybe that's kind of what they would look like.
0: Or maybe like a queen bee honeycomb. I feel like those look a little funkier. Yeah,
1: look a little funkier. Yeah. And the colors also can range. So they can be anything from gray to kind of blonde. And the sizes can range pretty significantly too. Which is another reason why mushrooms are just so much harder to forage if you don't know what you're doing. Um, And mushrooms in general are just kind of an odd lot. So while there are conditions that aid in their growth, the places you find them depend solely on the mycelium in the soil and where the spores land. So if you do decide to go out looking for morels, you should definitely be looking in forested areas. And it's been documented that morels are way more common in areas that have recently experienced forest fires.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to go too deep in to looking for morels. Really, they're a great thing to look for. I'm going to be pretty like I'm pretty much what you've heard is as deep as I'm going to go into their appearance and how to forage for them. I think if it's something you're truly interested in doing then that's part of the research you should be doing for yourself. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I feel about it. And I don't want anybody to go out and pick some deadly mushrooms because there are two other kinds of mushrooms that look very similar to morels and both are edible, but you have to prepare them in a very specific way or Mm. they could be deadly. So just do your research. Um. Morels, though, once you do decide that you've done your research or if you want to go to a farmer's market and buy them, are said to contain high levels of iron, copper, manganese, phosphorus, zinc, vitamins D, E, and B6, folate, niacin, riboflavin, potassium, magnesium, calcium, selenium, and thiamine, all of which are really good for your body. They're also loaded with antioxidants. And they can help balance blood sugar and even help in liver damage repair. Hmm. So the health benefits of a well foraged mushroom are pretty high.
0: A lot, <laughs> a
1: lot, a lot. But again, I just can't stress enough how how important it is to know what you're doing if you're going to forage for mushrooms. Yeah, this was another of the forageables that kind of gave me a little difficulty in fish in fleshing out any real folklore uh they do however go on or go by many names depending on where you're looking for them and i thought some of them were kind of fun so i'm gonna read some of them uh in some areas they're called molly moochers
0: molly moochers oh yep. uh
1: hickory chickens is another one. Oh my
0: gosh
1: haystacks <gasps> conehead brain oh my or gosh or merkels
0: oh my gosh
1: and apparently, think- the name Merkel's is from a story about a family that was saved by eating these mushrooms in the Appalachian Mountains. Huh. And if you're familiar with the dialect of the deeper Appalachian Mountains, Merkel is quite similar to miracle.
0: miracle. Yeah,
1: and so the Merkel mushrooms, or uh morel mushrooms were considered to be a miracle because they saved that family oh was my that gosh. that's about the deepest folklore i could find on it but
0: that's so fun though i feel like every single one of those things i would name as a character that i would play in a fantasy game
1: yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely i think that <laughs> Hello, molly moochers is my, famlet, is my favorite molly moochers <laughs> so good also, oh, though uh, hickory chickens, I like it a, a lot too. Hickory
0: though. chickens.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, a recipe that I personally love for morels, which I didn't. This isn't even in, in my notes. I just thought about it randomly. Um, if you take a morel mushroom and take some finely diced jalapenos and some cheddar cheese Ooh. and a little bit of sugar and some salt and some pepper and like make like a Mix all that into the cream cheese and stuff them and bake them. Mm. Ugh, so good. Yum. So good.
0: All right. Well, I'm putting that in my calendar. I hope, you know, we're going to do this. <laughs>
1: Let's do it. I'm into it. I love morel mushrooms. I'm not a huge mushroom fan in general, but I like meaty. Like meaty mushrooms.
0: I love mushrooms. I think my goal this year is to get some like some of the local farms have mushroom boxes that you mm-hmm. can get. And I, I want one so badly. Yeah. I'll let you know if I order some. Uh yeah. Let's that sounds great.
1: (laughs) In to it.
0: In to it. All right. Let's do our final forageable. Let's do it. You know what it is? It's chickweed. Ooh,
1: which is one of the
0: greatest. It's not spring specific, but it is really, really yummy and great and fresh and delicious in the spring. I always eat it in the spring because it's just like you know when you need that extra green in your diet, it's just there and it's, it's like, ready for your.
1: You don't have to do it in the spring, but it's highly suggestible.
0: It is a cool weather plant. It prefers like fifty three degrees to sixty eight degrees, so like in the zone that we're in, it dies off and then comes back, and so you're really only going to find it in that temperature range. Okay, that's but, fun.
1: That's like a, yeah. that's like a cool thing, honestly.
0: Yeah. It has a very succulent stem, and it has these tiny, adorable, adorable little white flowers that are so cute. You, ha- you have to go look at this picture. I love chickweed flowers. They're so I cute. I don't think I'm
1: that familiar with chickweed, honestly.
0: Really? Yeah. So what it looks like is it has these pointed oval leaves that are in pairs that are opposite each other. And the flower itself is five double-lobed white petals, but the lobe is so deep it almost looks like 10 petals. It's really cute.
1: Uh, why is it so cute? I'm sorry, right? I looked it up on Google because I had to. It's so cute.
0: You know why it's called chickweed? Why? Because chickens love to eat it. Aw. <laughs> it's actually really good food for poultry, but it has hair along its stem, which alternates between joints. So that's a good way to identify it. Also the flower, good way to identify it. And then if you peel it apart, if you peel the stem apart, in the inside it'll have an inner stem that is actually elastic. So the outside stem doesn't stretch, but the inside stem does.
1: That's Kinda so cool. cool.
0: Yeah. And so if you there is a look-alike that is poisonous, but it's easy to tell because A, it doesn't have the elastic in inner stem. B, when you cut it, the toxic lookalike has a milky sap. So, if you cut something you think is chickweed and it starts having this milky sap like milkweed, don't eat it.
1: <laughs> Man, I feel it's like not chickweed. I feel like nature is just so cool cuz I feel like there's always so many warning signs like
0: yeah, yeah. It's like
1: if I am secreting a white sap out of my stalk, maybe don't eat me.
0: Don't eat me. Just don't just don't
1: do it. Yeah. Just, and
0: the lookalike also has orange flowers, so just You know, it's pretty obvious. (laughs) Yeah. If (laughs) I am bright
1: and flashy and you can watch me bleed, I'm probably not edible.
0: (laughs) You can watch me bleed. (laughs) Oh, Okay. We're writing this foraging guide. I want to read this. (laughs) What was it? Don't put it in your mouth if you're not all about. I don't remember what it was. I know I've had to look it up twice now. Please forgive me. When in doubt, keep it out of your mouth.
1: I love how it doesn't even rhyme, but you're so convinced that it has to be. I'm so convinced it rhymes.
0: (laughs) I'm going to write a better one. I'll let you all know when I come up with it. Oh, (laughs) my God.
1: I'm over here dying, crying.
0: Okay, anyway. Back to chickweed. It is in a lot of recipes. Oh, I want to shout out real quick. If you are into this episode, you've made it this far and you're into this, please, if you have an Instagram, go follow Foraging and Feasting. It is this incredible... They're just incredible. They have written a cookbook of all foraging stuff that I just ordered and I can't wait for it to come in. I've (laughs) actually been following them for a while, but I haven't... I'm calling the cookbook a business expense. It's been... A long time coming, (laughs) but they do all of these things, they do these video series, they do little infographics, all kinds of stuff about foraging, like everything that we're talking about, a lot of this info is on there and it's just such an awesome, awesome thing to follow. Anywho, chickweed is used in a lot of recipes because it has this really super green, fresh, crisp taste. It is so yummy. I've had it myself many, many times. It is nutritional. It's delicious. It's high in iron, and it's pleasant. It kind of tastes like, like sprouts. Like if you like that taste Ooh, of sprouts. I like the sprouts. Yeah, like it's got that like bright green taste, but it's a little less like dirt. Like it's more like like between sprouts and lettuce, I would say.
1: Okay, I'm into that. Super into that.
0: You can cook it like spinach. Apparently, like it's anything that you would use spinach. Like every way that you would use spinach, you can also use chickweed. But chickweed is one of those things that like is the quintessential. It doesn't refrigerate. You like you kind of just got to chop it and eat it. So there's no commercial crop for it. But it was an extremely popular edible garden plant in the 1800s. And personally, I feel like everyone should eat chickweed. It is so delicious, so Let's yummy. Let's bring it's great it in back. Pesto, it's great in stir fries. It's great in everything. Bring it back. So yummy. So that's chickweed. That's the end.
1: Oh, we did it.
0: We did it. We made it.
1: That was a hefty episode.
0: That was a hefty episode. But guess what I have for the end? What? I have two fun facts because we forgot one for last episode. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Look at us go.
0: (laughs) So the fun fact for last episode is going to be that something that we learned on a live stream we did with our friend, the drunken phytologist, that stem cells are literally named from plants, from plant stems, stem cells. Yeah.
1: How crazy. How
0: cool. What is that even? (laughs) Fun fact. What even
1: is that? I don't know. It's crazy.
0: (laughs) And then the other fun fact I learned is that over the winter, honeybees, like worker honeybees, kick out all the men in winter to die out of the hive because they don't do anything except mate with the queen and they don't need that in the winter and they just take up resources. So in the winter, all of the female bees kick out all the male bees to die.
1: Damn, get it.
0: Yeah, that's that's our fun facts.
1: (laughs) Fun facts.
0: Fun facts. Thank you for joining us, you all. I hope that this episode inspired you all to go eat your weeds. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes that would be great all the weeds in your yard are, not all of them that's a lie do your research like I said do the whole your time
0: research. but I feel like a lot of our society is about being afraid of the things in your front yard and like we really shouldn't be like so much of it is edible and good for us
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah so that's the episode Um, if you want to find us find out more about us support the show I would say just go to our website
1: super easy to get there all you have to do is type in propagatedpodcast.com. So easy. Propagated is P-R-O-P-A-G-A-T-E-D.
0: Look at that. I never spell it right. <laughs> I feel like a lot so, of people
1: have, have trouble with that. So I feel like it was I important know, to spell I feel it. I
0: kind of badly. My coworker was like, I couldn't find it. And I was like, let me spell it for you. And they're like, oh, I spelled it wrong.
1: <laughs> it's a weird one. It's a weird one to spell. I'll give it to you. It's weird to spell. It
0: is. But hey, guess what? You're listening and it's right there in the title. <laughs> there you go.
1: I spelled it for no reason. I did the hard work for you. You don't even have to look at the title of the the episode anymore.
0: If you want to support the show, a free way to do that is to leave us a review. I feel like you can really only do that in a few places, but if you listen somewhere where you can do that, we would much appreciate it.
1: It would be super awesome. You can also, once you're on our website, look at the Support Us tab, and it will lead you to our Patreon. And if you like bonus content... That's where you're going to find it. And you'll also get discounts on the merch in our store.
0: Yeah, that is that. That's the episode. I feel like there are other places to find us, but you can find it all on our our website. We don't want to make this too long, and I'll put it in the show notes. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for joining us, y'all.
1: That was great. Love you guys.
0: Love you guys. Happy foraging. Happy spring. Bye. Bye.